everybody. I am here in substitute of Pastor Cody, who wasn't feeling well, and so he called and gave me a half a day, maybe a whole day notice to get something prepared. So I'm not going to keep you that long. I don't have any slides or nothing fancy. I'm just going to break into the Word with you. We're in Judges 14, and we're just going to see what happens. How's that sound? <laughs> but I am excited about this chapter. Now, how many of you read ahead? How many of you read this chapter? Yeah, many of you have. We, we always try to challenge you to do that. But I tell you what, as I've done that each and every week, especially with this chapter, I am just perplexed about Samson. We're going to be talking about Samson. Uh, Cody, Pastor Cody, started in chapter 13 last week, and he talked about the birth of Samson. But as I read through that chapter just to get reacquainted with what he taught, and I got into the chapter, chapter 14, Samson to me is just a conundrum. He's a walking contradiction to me. He's an enigma shrouded in a paradigm. And I don't always understand what he's about. And especially when you consider that Samson is one of the few men in Scripture whose birth was divinely announced to his parents. An angel came to his parents and told his parents, first of all, she was barren. Angel told his parents, his, his mother, that she was going to have a son, that there was going to be a purpose for him, and everything the angel said came true. Now, he shares this honor of being one of the few men in the Bible to have his birth divinely um, pronounced. He shares this honor with Isaac when God, the angel of God, came to Abraham and Sarah. He shares this honor with John the Baptist when the angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and his mother Elizabeth. And he shares, of course, this honor with Jesus when the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and Mary. Now, before we jump into 14, I think it's important just to quickly review chapter 13. In chapter 13, it begins where it tells us that the sons of Israel, surprise, surprise, did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the seventh time or seven times total, they do evil in the sight of the Lord, the Bible tells us. And it says here that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. And there was a man whose name was Manoah, and he had a wife. And this angel of the Lord appears to his wife and again says that you're going to have a son. And he's going to be very special. I'm going to use him in a very powerful way. And I know you have borne no children. I know you're sterile. But you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. But there's a thing about him. He's going to be what is called a Nazarite from the womb. That he was going to be dedicated to the Lord. And God says that he is, or the angel of the Lord says, he's going to begin to deliver Israel. Begin, not finish, but begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines through their son. She doesn't know what that means, but she trusts him. And so Manoah her husband, he hears of this. She goes and tells him, this angel of the Lord came to me. And he says, please, please, Lord, he prays, Lord, can you make him come back? Because I, I appreciate this about this parenthood, this style. Please have him come back so I can ask the angel of the Lord. I can ask you, God, how do we raise this child? Just this good parenting. Tell us, oh God, how we should raise our children. And so he does that, and the, the man comes back. The angel of the Lord comes back, and he asks him, how are we to 
How, it says specifically in verse 12, now when your words come to pass, so first he believed. He says, what shall be the boy's mode of life in this vocation? So he just really wants to know. So what's interesting, chapter 14, we fast forward many years because in verse 24, the, last, the second to the last verse of chapter 13, it says that she gives birth to this son and she names him Samson. Now chapter 14, where we begin tonight, He's already a full-grown man, so we fast forward, and there's just a quick time warp. We don't know what happened. We don't know what was done in his childhood. We don't know how exactly he grew up, but we do know there were specific instructions from the angel of the Lord on what they are to do, a Nazarite. So remember that, and so we'll talk about that here in a minute. But let's go ahead and jump in to chapter 14, verse 1. Follow along with me. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Chris or someone can bring you one. It's important that you do follow along if you can. Uh, it helps with understanding. So let's, let's begin. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and he told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Now I want to Pause here just for a second because, again, I was so mystified by, by Samson as I read through this chapter. First of all, it says that Samson was born a Nazarite. Now, that's different from a Nazarene. Nazarene um, indicates a location. Jesus of Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. A Nazarite is different. A Nazarite is a person who's made a vow. It's a person who was set apart. Set apart, set aside as holy for God for a very special purpose. And usually it was for a specific period of time. But in the case of Samson, it says he was to be a Nazarite from birth. So his whole life was to be dedicated to a vow that God was going to use him for a very special purpose. And being a Nazarite meant you could not drink. You couldn't have any fermented drink. You couldn't even drink grape juice. You could have nothing to do with the fruit of the vine. You couldn't go near or touch any dead body, and that could be human or animal. You can't touch a carcass. You couldn't cut your hair. That was a sign that you were dedicated in vow, in service to the Lord. And though he, Samson was set apart for service to God, you're going to read and we're going to see here that Samson completely ignores this Nazarite vow. He relied upon his own strength, and God made him very powerful indeed. He relied on his own strength and his own abilities rather than on God's. And although Samson had incredible potential, I mean, he was the strongest man in the world to ever live. He was wise. He had the looks. He had the hair, right? But although he had incredible potential, he had weakness, and his weakness was women, and specifically these women Palestine women or um, Philistine women. They were, they were being ruled by the Philistines for 40 years, but God had a plan for them. His passion for women was so important to him that it overrode God's expressed will for his life. And again, although he had unbelievable potential, some very bad things you're going to see happens to Samson. And the lesson for us is this, and this is why I'm telling you this before we go on, is that the deeper we allow ourselves to be influenced by the glamour, by the allure of sin in the world, the more blind we become. 
the more numb we become to sin's influence in our life. In fact, Samson was spiritually blind long before his eyes were gouged out. And you probably know the story, like in chapter 16, he gets his eyes gouged out. But he was spiritually blind long before he became blind. So right here, I stop right here because you see a little bit right off the bat of Samson's character. It says that he comes back and he tells his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Right here off the bat, you see Samson's character, that he has already set aside the word of God in his life. For a Jewish person in that culture, it was absolutely forbidden for you to marry outside of your culture. You were not to intermarry with the pagan nations around you. Their law, Deuteronomy 7, talked about it, completely forbidden. And, and in Deuteronomy 7, it, basically, God tells them, when you go into the land that I'm giving you, first of all, you're to wipe out these people. You're to burn up their stuff. And furthermore, you are not to intermarry with them. Um, you don't give your sons or your daughters, and you don't take their sons and daughters because they're going to lure you away to worship other gods. And at first reading, you can see right here the disrespect that Samson has for his parents. Notice, he doesn't ask them permission. He's telling them what to do. You go and you get me this woman. Now, maybe there was even intimidation. After all, he's, he's the strongest man in the world. He's a full-grown adult. In my mind, I see him like intimidating, like bowing up on his parents a little bit. You know, telling him, like, intimidation, he's powerful. Like, you go get me that woman. Not asking, but telling. In a way, in my mind, I, I see him like a caveman, like, get me woman, bunk her on the head, bring her back. And he just had this intimidating uh, aura about him. Now, we think it, as we read through this a little bit, you think, well, maybe... He has some respect for his parents. He's actually asking them at least, right? He's asking them to be involved in this. But no, understand in Jewish tradition, parents were required to be involved. The, these marriages were prearranged marriages. You didn't just go out dating yourself and shop around and then pick the girl you like. Your parents got with their parents and they prearranged these, these marriages. And there was a thing called a dowry where the man's parents actually gave something of wealth to the woman's parents. It was basically, think of it this way, alimony in advance. And what I, what I mean by that is, if it didn't work out, because the man could leave the woman for any reason, and they often would. And if that happened, they didn't want the woman to be left high and dry, just stranded somewhere. And so this dowry, this gift that was given to her parents would be saved. If something went wrong in this marriage, she would have something to fall back onto. And so it wasn't like he was inviting his parents to participate. That was just part of the custom. There was a disrespect there, but these were amazing parents. They were spiritual. Look in verse 3. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people? That you go take a wife from, these, uh, from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. Let's pause here. Um, 
I think his parents are pretty good people. They're spiritual parents. They're reminding him right here of Deuteronomy 7. They're reminding him of God's word. They're discipling their child in the way that they should go. This is what the Bible teaches us to do with our children. But Samson right here is in open rebellion to God's word. He's like, yeah, God's word, yeah, 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 yeah. I got that. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to weigh me down with God's word. Now you go get her for me, for she looks good to me. We learn a lot about Samson right here. We learn a lot about his character. But he was to be set apart from the beginning. And now it seems he's out of control. What a shock for his parents. Thinking, I, I took you to synagogue. I, I did what the angel told me. I, I didn't drink while I had you. I carried you. I didn't get around any unclean thing. I kept you from that. And now you kind of turn out as a wayward kid? I, I think many people in the church and out can relate to that. Like, growing up in a good Christian home, did everything, everything I thought God was telling me to do in the right way for my children, and they've gone wayward. Maybe you have a, a son or a daughter, or you have a cousin or a niece or a nephew or a grandchild that's just gone off the rails. I have heard stories of pastor's kids being the most wildest kids in the church. These, I hear these stories. These things happen. So I think many of us can relate, but Samson's struggle, I want you to see, is nothing new. The root of it goes all the way back, I believe, to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. When Eve was deceived in the Garden of Eden, she was attracted to the fruit of the forbidden tree. And Satan tempted her. He was there. But she was walking by sight, not by God's word. And they literally heard the voice of God. She sees the forbidden fruit and it was pleasant to the eyes. Genesis 3, 6 tells us this. Pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. She looks at it and it, it looks, it's good for food. The lust of the flesh. Serpent tells us it'll be good for gaining wisdom. The pride of life. And Samson begins the same way with the lust of the eye. She looks good to me. He was attracted to her sexually, the, the lust of the flesh. He didn't even know her. He just saw her. He, he didn't know her. She would make a good wife. Didn't know what kind of baggage she might have. Is she a good cook? <laughs> you, know, you know, the important things. He's just like, get her for me. And here he ignores the wisdom of his parents and of God. For his own wisdom, the pride of life. Now, I like this in verse 4. Look, look at this. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Wow. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Let's pause. We know that they were ruling over him for 40 years. But it's such an unusual passage right here. It says, however, his father and mother did not know that this was of the Lord. How would they have known? It really makes you think, though, doesn't it? When things go south in our own lives, 
Maybe it's with a wayward child. Trying to imagine, like, was this a plan, God? Is there a lesson that I or someone is supposed to learn in this? It really makes you consider things and look at things, to pause a little bit and look at things a little bit differently. I, I think this passage is maybe in here to help us realize that it wasn't his parents' fault. That they probably did everything right, but God had a plan. And God did not approve of this marriage. He didn't. It goes against his own word. But he allowed it to happen. It's called the sovereignty of God. That God knows the decisions we will make before we even make them. It's still free will. It's still up to us. But God, from his throne room, can see the decision that we will make throughout our life. And God is like, listen, for all of us, for all of us, He's like, now you can do it my way or you can do it the hard way. But my purpose will be done. See, God, God had a plan for Samson. He has a plan for us. And God right here wanted to move, it says, against the Philistines. After 40 years of being in the hands of the Philistines, that plan was to begin, again, not end, but it would begin with this wild man, Samson. But this probably wasn't the original plan. God probably wanted him to do it the right way. But Samson had a lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and pride. But it was free will. You think about it. You think about free will. Uh, God desires that all would come to Him, the whole world. God's heart is He wants everyone to become a follower of Him, but not everyone gets saved, do they? They don't. Sarah laughed at God when God told her that she was going to have a child in their old age. They're in their near 100. And when it doesn't happen right away, Abraham takes things into his own hands and Sleeps with a maidservant. And so his first son, Ishmael, wasn't God's plan. You can do it your way, the hard way, or you can do it my way. You think about Jacob, the deceiver, who got deceived. It makes me think about these things. Like, Jacob, he, he goes to his uncle, and he gets tricked into marrying Leah. But I think maybe that might have been God's plan all along because with Leah, he had four kids. He had Reuben, Levi, Simeon, and Judah. Jesus comes through the line of Judah. God's ultimate plan may have just to get Jesus here. It could have just stopped right there. There wouldn't have need to be 12 tribes. But he had a lust or a love for Rachel, the, young, the younger sister. And that created all kinds of problems because now Leah's jealous, so she gives her, her maidservants. And then Rachel, she was barren, and so she gives her maidservants. And now we have more and more kids. Pretty soon we have 12 brothers and a sister. And later on, she gets raped, and that creates a whole set of problems. You can do it the hard way or you can do it my way. It makes me really think about all the different ways that God is working in our lives that we may not understand. We learn that God can use the wicked 
as well as the righteous to accomplish his will right here. In verse 5 it says, Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now, first of all, I I read this in verse 5, and I think, what are you doing in the vineyards? Run! You're not supposed to be there. Remember what the law said. You can't ever be near a vineyard. You can't even eat the grapes. This is part of your vow. You can't drink grape juice. You can't drink the wine. You can't even touch the seeds. You're not supposed to be there. So many times, guys, we don't run from the things that we should flee from. And he's with his father. They, they see the vineyards. It should have been like, okay, let's, you see them as you approach the valley. It's, let's go around. But we don't run. It's like if you have an alcohol problem. Your ministry isn't in the bars. If you have a pornography problem, then you probably shouldn't be on the internet alone. Or, and stay away from R-rated movies. If, if you're a drug addict, you probably should not hang out with drug addicts. But he didn't care. And look what happens. While he's in the vineyard where he shouldn't be, it says, Behold, a young lion came roaring, and a young lion, a strong lion, ambushes him. And this is so hard for my brain to wrap around. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he was forced to tear with his two bare hands, the lion in two, like one tears a small animal, like, like maybe a goat. So in my mind, I, I can't imagine this. Like who, like, who can tear a goat apart and why? But maybe like after you cooked a small animal, you know, maybe you don't have a good knives. After it's cooked, you kind of tear it, you know, tear the legs off and section it. But he does this with, with a lion. Now, I know when you have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you, you can do just about anything. You're filled with the Spirit of God. But now he's dealing with a dead animal. He, he tears a lion apart, and he's got the blood and guts all over him. He just, you know, rubs some dirt on it, rubs it off, throws it into the bushes, you know, and just walks away from it. He's not supposed to be around a dead carcass, a dead animal, not supposed to be doing with that. But now he's dealing with this dead animal, and then he doesn't tell his mom and dad, it says. In verse 7, it says, he went down and he talked to the woman. This is the woman he's been lusting after. And she, again, looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of a lion. Gross. Like, it's so weird that to me that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and then he goes off lusting. Like, when I think of the Spirit of the Lord coming, I think of the Spirit of the Lord came upon Moses to part the Red Sea. 
The Spirit of the Lord came upon him to heal the leper. The Spirit of the Lord came upon to do all these amazing things, but not to go off this way. He's just so blind to the harm that he's doing. He's so blind to the disrespect that he's doing toward his parents right here and to God. Like, he takes this honey. Like, on his way back to see the woman, he's like, hmm, I remember I killed a lion right over here. Let me go check in that bush, see if that carcass is still there. Like, go look at his trophy. And when he goes, he sees bees have made a home inside the body of the lion, and there's honeycombs, and it's completely gross. And he takes it out, and he's just like, do-do-do, starts chomping it down. Hey, Mom, Dad, here you go. And he's so disrespectful, so blind to what he's doing, totally forgot about his vow. Don't even care about the vow. Like, don't burden me with God's plan. But let me say this. All sin, especially those sexual sin, comes with its own dire and sometimes Deadly consequences. Sin binds and then it blinds us. Let me say it this way. Sin will take us farther than we intend to go. Sin will hold us longer than we may intend to stay. Sin will cost us more than we were ever intending to pay. And that's why I love Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart in all things. In verse 10, back with his father again, it says, then his father went down to the woman. And Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. It's a bachelor party. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him, which these aren't his friends. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So let me just recap what we just read. There's a lot here. So he and his father, they go to see the woman, and salmon, salmon, <laughs> Samson, they're... They got this plan. They're going to get married. And they make a feast there. And the young, the young men, it says, customarily did it. This is literally a seven-day bachelor party. It's a party. It's a drunken thing. And everyone's hooting, hooting it up. And it says when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. These aren't his friends. These were people who were probably just told, if you come, free drink. See, they did this a lot of times when it came to funerals and these things. They paid people. They would literally pay people to come to the funeral and wail. It it drew attention. Oh, my gosh, he was so loved. He was so loved. Oh, they're so popular. Look at all their friends. 
This was all about image. And then in this drunken, fun, festive time for them, his pride starts kicking in. He decides, yeah, I got a riddle for these guys. I don't really know them. And he gives them this riddle. And the bet is, if you can solve it, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes and 30 linen wraps. But if you can't figure it out, this riddle, then you have to give that to me. Seven-day feast. After this feast, the marriage ceremony would take place and the marriage would be final. And in this pride, he gives him this riddle about the mess that he was involved in. This tearing of this lion and, and the honey and giving it to his parents. He, he makes a joke out of it. He makes a mockery out of disobeying his vow. And he says to him, out of the eater, right? Out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. He must have just been very proud of himself for making a little poem. But man, talk about the pride of man. Verse 15, then it came about on the fourth day that he said to Samson's wife, that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me. And you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? However, she wept for before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. Now let's pause again here. It's the fourth day of this feast. He told them this riddle at the beginning. Three days go by, nothing. And they're feeling the pressure. We're not going to figure this riddle out. So they go to her. And they're like, you need to entice your husband to tell us what this riddle is. And if you don't, we're going to burn you out. We're going to burn you down and your father's house with fire. Now, this probably was not an idle threat. These are the Philistines. These were people of war. They meant it, and she knew it. So when she's weeping before her husband, I don't think it's an act. She's struggling here like, like and, and, and wait a second, you think about what they said. They said, have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? In a way, that's true. Like the nerve that, look what Samson started. Like he doesn't even know these guys, and he makes this bet with them, knowing the alcohol was going to puff them up and there were going to be this little contest between men and he was going to win this bet and they couldn't cover it. And so she's weeping before him and she's like, you hate me. You do not love me. You made this riddle and, and you've never told me the answer. And he's like, well, I haven't even told my parents. Why should I tell you? But she kept at it. The closer and closer the seven days came, she knew, we're about, I'm about to lose my parents. I won't even be your wife. So she weeps before him, and he says, yeah, I'm not going to say a thing, but because it's the seventh day, 
because time is pretty much up, I'll go ahead and tell you. And it says he tells her. So then he told the riddle. She told the riddle to the sons of her people. So he tells her thinking, she's not going to have time to do anything with this information. She immediately goes and tells. And this is what it says in verse 18. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, at the last minute, before the sun went down. So they waited to the last second. They only found out probably minutes before. And they go to him at the last minute. So the men said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, when I first read this, I was, what? And I want to expound a little bit on this because it confused me so much. When I first read it, I thought it meant, well, you took my heifer and you plowed with it. And while you were plowing, you found the dead lion in the bushes or wherever I last left it. And then you saw the honey in there and then you figured it out. But that isn't what it means. (laughs) Some of you are already smiling. It's some kind of agriculture expression, but it's an expression about his wife. It was a term used to express how they got over on him, how they got ahead of him. Here's the idea that you have taken my animal that pulls the plow to get over on me. The analogy is this. If you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, or my wife used her, then you would have never known that riddle. Now, here's some good pre-marriage advice for you singles, right? Never use this analogy (laughs) for your wife, okay? Never. But that's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. He's, He's referring the heifer as his wife. And if you wouldn't have used her, you wouldn't have intimidated her, you wouldn't have tricked her. You wouldn't have made her afraid. You would have never figured out this riddle. And he was infuriated. Verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Uh Uh-oh. And he went to Ashkelon and killed 30 men of them and took the spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who he told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. You see what I mean? Like it's just a walking contradiction, a conundrum. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And then he goes out and kills 30 innocent guys. Like, wait, what? Like, I'm not sure I understand. Samson gets very angry. He doesn't even wait around for the end of the seven days. Like soon as he finds out they know the riddle, I got to go pay this debt and he's off. He doesn't even stick around for, for the ceremony. He just leaves. And I so you make good on your deal by going and killing 30 innocent guys and taking their clothes off of their body to give them to these guys because you owe them 30 changes of clothes. And he went 23 miles away to this city Ashkelon, thinking that no one would know. What, what, do you think, what do you think they're going to think when they find these bodies? The dog did it? <laughs> no, 
They know. You, you wait to the next chapter. They know about it. But see, God had a plan. He wanted to entice the Philistines. Remember at the beginning, that'll entice them. You're, that's exactly what you're about to do. So you remember the deal. So he, he pays them back. And then the real knife in the side, in his burning anger, he gives his proposed wife to his best friend, or really it was his best man in the wedding. There, there's so much that we don't understand about the sovereignty of God is what I'm trying to get to you. It's, Doug played this song. If I was to name this sermon, it would be sin. If it's not one thing, it's another. He plays this song, and I just thought that's the perfect song for, for this lesson. If it's not one thing, it's another. And we see that here. Samson here also demonstrates that he was shallow, vengeful, and he just flat out pouted when he did not get his way. And Despite all of Samson's weaknesses, though, I, I got to say this. In spite of all the confusion, and we know the end of the story. In spite of all his weaknesses, he did turn back to God in the end. When he died, he turns to God. And perhaps the greatest lesson that we learn is that God would rather forgive than to judge. It's a powerful reminder for us. We get caught up in judging. We judge ourselves, like, to the 10th degree, more than anybody does to, our, to us. We do it to ourselves. But God's greatest lesson for us is that He would rather forgive than judge. He, he calls us all to repentance, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You haven't done worse than Samson. And in the end, Samson makes it. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. None of the men in Hebrews 11 were perfect. None of these men, they, 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 were, they were far from perfect. In the final analysis, God saw Samson as a man of faith. And it's evidenced by the fact he's listed among these other great men of faith. And so we read that list of names that are recorded there, Abraham and all the rest, and know that they weren't perfect, it gives us hope about our own lives. That if God could use him, then he could use us. God made him the strongest man on the planet. And God is willing to meet us right where we're at. God could have used him even if he never made him strong. Sometimes when we get those special abilities... We get prideful, and we have to do things the hard way instead of God's way. But God meets us right where we are right now, and He will take you where He wants you to go if we let Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for um, just these short words, this short lesson. But Father, they're powerful, and we think about the things that were done. And Father, this story is in the Bible for a reason, and we pray, Father, that we would reflect on it in our own lives and know that we could be used no matter what we've done. We know you would rather forgive. You just would. You have a plan for all of us, Lord. 
sin. If it's not one thing, it's another. And we are all swarming in it at times. And Father, I pray that our heart would always be to seek out your word and to get redirected on the right path. So I pray, Father, that this small lesson, not much prepared, would be used in some way for someone. Father, I, I know that your word never goes out empty. It never returns empty. I should. Father, that it's powerful. So, Father, please use it tonight. Uh, thank you for everyone being here. I'm looking forward to our car show and everyone here. In Jesus we pray. Amen.